This morning, I would like to continue on the subject, the way more perfectly. We began it a couple of Wednesdays ago, but I would like to flow in that vein this morning for a few moments together. Can we lift our voices and can we pray over the preaching of the Word of God this morning? Lord, we love you. God, we're so grateful that you've brought us together to this place. God, every saint of God, every guest, every, every person from every walk of life, I pray Lord, that this morning your word would go forth, God, with an unction, with anointing, and with power, and God, that you would accomplish your perfect will, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Acts chapter 18, it speaks of a young man, actually a young preacher, and his name, as you might recall, is Apollos. Apollos was a passionate man of God. And one whom wanted to share his faith with anybody and and everybody. He is described in Scripture as eloquent, mighty in the Scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in the Spirit. And he is someone who spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord. And so Apollos was certainly no slouch. But despite his best efforts and his passion for God, he did not have full revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or in particular, the plan of salvation. He only knew, the Bible says, the baptism of John. Apollos evidently had limited understanding. His understanding of the scripture, as it says there, it was deep, but but he had never connected the dots, and He did not fully grasp Jesus' work of salvation on the cross and how it related, in this case, to baptism. And so I'll reiterate this morning that passion is powerful. And our efforts in serving God, they certainly are valuable. But nothing can substitute for being in alignment with God's Word. Certainly on the matter of salvation and the new birth experience. In fact, I would go so far this morning as to say that if someone is preaching the new birth experience, the message of salvation, but doing so errantly, Paul would call that preaching another gospel. It is possible to do more harm than good. So here we have a passionate, gifted preacher, but he is not preaching the whole counsel of God. Apollos, you would say, is in doctrinal error. And don't let the word doctrine freak you out this morning. That just simply means what to believe, the appropriate beliefs, and we derive those from the Scripture. Amen? Now, it's not that Apollos had bad motives or, or wrong intentions. I think he had really great motives and really great intentions. He's giving of himself and giving of his life for the kingdom and for Jesus. But Apollos simply had a lack of knowledge. Everyone say, a lack of knowledge. Now, interestingly to me, the name Apollos, it actually means one who destroys or destroyer. And when I, when I studied his name and when I found this out, my mind immediately began to think, I know there's somewhere in the book of Revelation, there's, there's an angel in Revelation. And I looked it up, it was, it was chapter 9, verse 11, and that angel's name was Apollyon. Same name, Apollos, Apollyon, and that angel is named Destroyer by John the Revelator. And this is Apollos, a preacher with just a little bit of a lack of knowledge, 
whose name means destroyer. Let me ask you this morning, what is it that brings destruction for even well-intentioned people? The prophet Hosea wrote, chapter 4, verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. People are not necessarily destroyed because they lack passion, because they lack work ethic, or because they lack love for the Lord or for others. And Apollos' life shows us that. He had all of these things and more. Apollos had a lot of things going right, but because he lacked full understanding concerning the plan of salvation, his preaching was actually bringing destruction. It was a detriment to his hearers. But thankfully, God has a way of bringing people like Apollos, passionate people like this young preacher, in contact with greater revelation and full truth. And that is what we read in Acts chapter 18. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly. This is in Ephesus. And when he did in the synagogue, Aquila and Priscilla, they heard him. And then they took him to themselves. And they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Everyone say, the way more perfectly. And we talked about Aquila and Priscilla a couple of Wednesdays ago and how they were a godly couple in the church there in Ephesus, always willing to open the doors of their homes, to advance their home, to advance the kingdom of God, however they could, even for this young man, Apollos. They brought him in and they helped him understand. You see, his lack of knowledge about the plan of salvation was initially a liability to his preaching. Because he did not understand baptism fully, he was actually not helping his hearers. Evidently, you study this brief little passage, there is a right way to be baptized. Evidently, it matters how you preach it. Evidently, it matters how you practice it. If it didn't matter, then let the poor guy carry on. Paulus, just keep on stepping. Go for it. Why bother with an invasive, awkward conversation unless it were absolutely essential that you preach this message right according to the Word of God and according to the words of Jesus Himself? I'll say this morning, and I, I know that I'm preaching to many that would agree with me, but I'm reaching for somebody, and I feel like the Holy Ghost is reaching for somebody here I was led this morning to preach what I'm preaching. And I will say that it does matter how a church in the 21st century preaches and understands the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of salvation and the new birth experience. It matters today. To that same church at Ephesus, Paul would later say, Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, that there is one body there are not many bodies of Christ. There is one body of Christ in the earth. And there is one spirit that brings us into that body. Even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Everyone say one hope. And then he says that there's only one Lord. There's only one faith. And Paul said there's one baptism. There's not multiple baptisms. There's not many ways to, to, to go down in the water. No, there's only one way to be baptized, and it's in the only saving name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. For there is none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's at the name of Jesus. He said there's one God, 
and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. And so we must understand today that the language of Scripture, it is exclusive. The Bible draws hard lines on certain things and says, this is the way, walk ye in it. And it is up to us to ensure that we are on the right side of those lines. Amen? That doesn't mean that, that Jesus is only available to a select few. That, that's not what I mean when I say that the Scripture speaks in exclusive language. Jesus is available to everybody. This is for the whosoever will. The message of hope that we offer to the world, it is to all those who are afar off, Peter said. I'm not saying that it's only for a small niche pocket of people in the earth today. I'm saying that salvation is open to everybody. John said that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. We might say the atonement for our sins. Atonement. Break that word down. at one mint. Jesus brings us into covenant with himself and he makes it so that we are at one with God. And he said that Jesus is the atonement for our sins, but not only for ours. Not just for those under the sound of my voice today. Not just those who have served the Lord for a lot of years, perhaps. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. Can I tell you that Calvary and the blood that Jesus shed, it is enough for the sins of every human being from all the ages past, present, and future until He comes back. It's enough today. The blood that Jesus shed at Calvary on the cross, it still flows today and it still reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley and it will never, let me shout never it will never lose its power it's enough, somebody shout it's enough it's enough. Nobody is too far gone that God can't reach him with the cleansing flow of the blood that he shed somebody shout amen amen but if we desire to approach God and to receive salvation, there is a right way to do so. You might say that there is the way to be saved. All of us approach God on His terms or not at all. So often, we try to make God over in our image, our preferences, this is how I think it ought to be, but we are made in His image. And He is Lord and He is sovereign. And His word is forever settled. My opinions, however, are not. And neither are yours. There's authority in the word of God. And it is the blueprint, the pattern, and the pathway that we can look to for salvation. And because Apollos, he received the correction that day from Aquila and Priscilla, his preaching, it actually, it shifted and it changed. It stopped doing damage to his hearers and, and it began to do damage against hell itself. You see, Apollos did have a lot going right, but he needed just a small theological correction in order to be dangerous against the kingdom of darkness. And God brought that correction through that godly couple in the church at Ephesus when they explained the way more perfectly to him. 
And some might say, well, what's the big deal? Does it really matter if we are off just a little bit? If we're off just one degree in how we preach and understand something like baptism, evidently it matters. God put it in the scripture for us to read and to study. Did you know that if a space shuttle, let's, let's look to space aeronautics because I'm such an expert there. If a space shuttle were to take off from the surface of Earth, and as it got going, they recognized that it was off course by just one degree. Somebody say one degree. Just, just a small little amount. By the time it traveled the 384,400 kilometer distance, which is the distance from the Earth's surface to the moon, by the time it got there, it would be 6,709 kilometers off course which is about the distance from where we sit today in Fredericton, New Brunswick, to the tip of the boot heel in the nation of Italy. You know, the boot. Somebody said it's a long way. That's what I'm trying to say. That's a long way away. Just one degree off course. Just, just miss, missing the path by just a small amount. It, it ends up taking you a far distance away from your intended destination. And I think, I think the same is true of heaven. I, I don't want to miss salvation. I don't want to miss heaven. I don't want to miss the will of God in my life even by just one degree. Because we've heard it many times, but the truth still remains that eternity is far too long to be wrong. So I, I just stand here this morning, and, and maybe it's not a popular message in 21st century Christendom, but, but I want to say that truth still matters, and that the Word of God still matters, and how we preach the Gospel and understand the Gospel, it still matters today. If it was important enough for Aquila and Priscilla to bring course correction to Apollos, then it's important for there to be a church that still stands and says, oh yes, it does matter to me. It still matters for us as for me and my house, as for me and this congregation. I want to stand and say, I believe the Word of God still matters. It matters today. Paul said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And Timothy, I want you to rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide the word of truth. We might say, correctly explain the word of truth. And from that one verse, I understand that if you can rightly divide the word, you can wrongly divide the word. But there is power in people that are hungry for truth. Doesn't matter if it crosses me. It doesn't matter if it is abrasive or offensive to me. God, I understand that you are righteous. Your word is right. And so no matter what, God, I want to know truth. I want complete understanding. God, I, I want to, I, I have a hunger within me for the whole counsel of God. Let me say truth. So allow me today to direct our attention to the book of Acts. A little bit more broadly, we've been in Acts 18 a little bit. But if we look to the book of Acts, we will find the way to be saved. Now, why the book of Acts? You know, are we cherry-picking our favorite book? I mean, I, I think many would say it's maybe your favorite book in the Bible. I don't know. But are we just cherry-picking? Are we being a little bit too selective with our preference? Or, or is there a reason that we go to this book in Scripture? Well, the book of Acts... 
the fifth book in the New Testament, your Bible, it's a book that documents the history of the first century church, the original church. It is literally documenting the actions of those early Christians, and in particular, the apostles, hence the name, the Acts of the Apostles. And these apostles are the ones who walked and talked with Jesus during his earthly ministry. They were the ones who listened to his teaching and they watched as he performed miracles. And then when the time came, they helped to found and establish the church that Jesus died for. It was all these men. Jesus had already ascended up on high. He's gone before the church even began. And so we study Acts because it gives us a glimpse into how Jesus' disciples, again, who literally walked with him and heard him and, and, and observed him for three and a half years, it shows us how they put his teaching and his commandments and his preferences into action in the age of the church. If anybody had a good idea of how to apply Jesus' teaching, it was these guys. You know, I, I'm not against everything that happened throughout all of church history or what happens in modern times, but... But, but with respect to everybody alive today and with respect to everybody that lived throughout all the ages from the first, since the first century, we, we don't know it as well as they knew it because they, they were there. First-hand account. And they put it into action. And they fleshed it out. And they lived it out. It was these guys. And so we study Acts in particular because it is unique. It is the blueprint. It is the pattern Unique from any other book in the Bible. Acts is the only biblical book that chronicles the church's history, those 30 years following the ascension of Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever heard the statement, actions speak louder than words. Have you heard that before? And that's why we study Acts. There's lots of places throughout the rest of the New Testament, and I'm not diminishing any of it. It's all valuable. We need it all. We need the Gospels. We need to study how, how Jesus fleshed out the kingdom for us to see. He put the kingdom on display through his miracles, through his teachings, through his parables. All of that is powerful. I'm not diminishing any of that. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the Old Testament. The Old Testament points ahead to the age of the church through prophecies and through what men spoke throughout the ages. So all of it is valuable, but there's something about Acts because it's, it's, it's the actions, not just the words. Just, just one brief example in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul makes the statement, familiar statement to many of us, by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And from that, those two verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, some people assume and they derive this idea that, that well, I guess Paul is advocating for salvation through faith alone. No works. And they consider baptism to be a work. And and they consider receiving the Holy Ghost perhaps to be a work. But, but I have to ask you, did Paul really believe that? The way that they interpret it? Because if he actually believed it that way, he didn't live his convictions. Because that was written to Ephesians, but then when he was in Ephesus, he didn't do that. Because he comes across a group of believers in Acts chapter 19. And if he actually believed that all you needed to do is believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, and you're already saved, then he would have patted them on the back and sent them on stepping. Congratulations, boys. You're doing great. That's not what he did, is it? He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, no, we don't even know what that is, Paul. He said, okay, well, how were you baptized then? Well, John's baptism. 
the same way that Apollos used to preach it. We were baptized into John's baptism, and Paul goes, okay, let's get, let's get things in order here. And at the end of that passage, they're rebaptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He lays his hands on them. They receive the Holy Ghost, and they begin speaking in other tongues as the evidence of receiving that gift. So I would say that actions speak louder than words. And in fact, we interpret the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 through the actions of Paul to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. We understand what he said better through the lens of his actions. Actions speak louder than words. So that's why we study the book of Acts. It brings great insight to the rest of the New Testament. Amen. So let's go to the beginning. And I will seek to hasten to a close this morning. Acts chapter 2 documents the first day of church history. It's ground zero. It's where this all began. And during the very first sermon ever preached in church history, the question is posed by the people, Acts 2.37. When they heard Peter's preaching, they were pricked in their heart. They were convicted and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is... The pattern. That is the message. And I would say this morning that the answer to the question, what shall we do? It has not changed in 2,000 years. There is still no other way to be saved. This is the way. Everyone say the way. And I still love this message. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. I'll say this morning as strong as I can that the Acts 2.38 message, it is the only message that can take those afar off and bring them nigh by the blood of Christ. The Acts 2.38 message is the only one that can bring us out of darkness and put us into His marvelous light. It is the way. It is the message. It is the truth spoken by Peter, given to him by Jesus Himself. In the book of Acts, countless thousands are saved. We know this. There's 3,000. There's 5,000. There's multitudes. They multiplied in Acts chapter 6. But we are given 10. I know I referenced this a couple of Wednesdays ago, but I wanted to help us to really visualize the Scripture. There are 10 salvation stories in the book of Acts. 10. And I won't take the time to read all of them. They're on the screen behind me today. And each story, it gives us a snapshot of salvation, you know. It tells their story and how they experienced it and, and how they were preached to. And each story often highlights or emphasizes a different aspect of the Acts 2.38 message. Or perhaps the, the story will bring us people or a person from a different background or a different walk of life. And we won't take time to walk through every one. We would be here a long time. But they all entered the kingdom, regardless of their walk of life. They all entered the kingdom the same way. We're going to say the same way. It was the same message. They all obeyed Acts 2.38. You will notice that some stories do not include every element of the Acts 2.38 message. But just because something is not mentioned does not mean 
that it is unnecessary or that it actually didn't happen. It just might not be documented by Luke who wrote, wrote the book of Acts. With Saul of Tarsus, Cornelius, and Lydia, for example, their stories do not mention that they believed. But nobody is mounting a campaign to say, I guess you don't need to believe to be saved. I mean, if you are, you, you might be alone. <laughs> nobody does that. Because they understand it's implied that they believed, of course. We just understand it. it it's not mentioned explicitly. None of the stories, now this is very interesting to me, none of the stories plainly say that people repented. Not one. Peter preached it in Acts chapter 2, but it doesn't say that the 120 in the upper room or the 3,000 in the streets of Jerusalem, that they, that they, quote, repented for their sins. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say it in any of the stories. But, but should we believe and understand that to mean that we don't need to repent? No. One thing we know for sure is that they never stopped preaching it, and we know that they repented. We know that they experienced that. Peter in Acts chapter 3, just one chapter later, he said, Repent ye therefore and be converted. So it was still a part of salvation. All of heaven rejoices when just one sinner repents. So it's essential. This one's pretty cool to me. Baptism. Every story mentions baptism. There's no ambiguity about it. Every believer gets baptized. Enough said. Beyond the day of Pentecost, believers in Acts chapter 2 were told that the Samaritans, Cornelius, and the Ephesian believers, they received the Holy Ghost. But again, just because something is not specifically mentioned in those other stories, those other six stories, it does not mean that it did not happen. We have to be consistent in how we apply the logic, you know, reading through all of these accounts. Every Christian in Scripture received the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, the apostles, and we talked about this a few Sundays ago, they were so convinced that receiving the Spirit was necessary that Peter and John, they left Jerusalem during a time of persecution, and they went to Samaria, that those Samaritan believers might receive the Holy Ghost. They were convinced that they, they, they needed to be a Spirit-filled church. Amen? So it's a part of it. It's important. Three stories out of ten specifically mention that the believers spoke in tongues when they received the Holy Ghost. In fact, it's how the church knew that God had poured out His Spirit. It was that initial evidence of Spirit outpouring and infilling. And the story of Cornelius makes it abundantly clear that this is the pattern. Acts 10.44, while Peter was yet preaching, speaking the words, the Holy Ghost begins to fall in that service in the house of Cornelius on all of them which heard the word. Not just one, not just a few. Everybody began to receive. And here's how they knew that it happened. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And so I can say emphatically this morning that every Christian in your Bible, every Spirit-filled believer, they received the Holy Ghost and they spoke in other tongues as the initial evidence of that gift. I still believe that it's a part of the Gospel message. And I still believe that it's a part of the new birth experience. That except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But can I tell you this morning that it's available here today. It's avail available for whosoever will. If you want to take a step of faith or obedience, today is your day. Salvation is still available. The door is still wide open for you to come in and be saved. You know, none of this really is surprising. Jesus spoke of all of these things. 
even speaking in tongues. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. Jesus said, they shall speak with new tongues. I thank God for this message. This is the message. If we could pause just long enough to recognize, realize, and remember that this message, for many of us in the room today, this is the one that lifted us, that established our going, that saved us and that sanctified us. It's only by the blood of Jesus, by the waters of baptism, and by the Spirit of God, they agreed together in one to save the souls of men. Can we just take a moment? Can we just thank the Lord for the message of salvation? Can we just take a moment? Can we thank the Lord? That He came and He did not leave us to our own devices, but, but He made a way of escape for us today. Can we lift our voices for just a moment, just a moment, and can we give God some praise and thank Him today? I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Where would we be without Your grace, without Your goodness, Lord? Where would we be without Your truth, without Your Word, God? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So I believe that today is a day of salvation. Today, you can turn to God in repentance. It's more than just, it is a prayer, but it's more than just a prayer. It's an inward change of attitude that leads to an outward change of direction. You can make a choice. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to walk your direction today. I'm not going to be perfect. I might fall sometimes. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to get back up and just keep on moving. That's true repentance. Today you can take a step and be baptized in the only saving name of Jesus Christ. The water is ready. We have robes. We have towels. And I believe that if we will do what we can do, what we know to do, God will confirm His Word and He will pour out His Spirit in abundance, in great measure. I believe that today. I hunger for that today. Before I conclude, and we're going to come to the altar in just a few moments. Before I conclude, I would like to just make note of one other element that is always present when people obey the gospel. And that is a preacher. There is always a preacher involved. Paul would say in Romans 10, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Truth. But how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And the man that wrote these words, the Apostle Paul, he knew well the importance of a preacher. We could look at any one of these ten stories, but just for a few moments, Paul's story. It's found in Acts chapter 9, and at that time he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And he was someone who literally persecuted and killed Christians for following the way. For, for, for drawing a hard line in the sand and saying, this is the way. This, this is the will of God. And he didn't like that and he pushed against it. He resisted and killed Christians. Now we have the benefit of knowing how his story ends. And, and we know that he ends up being converted to the very faith that he once opposed and he ends up going by the name Paul, and he becomes one of the greatest missionaries that this world has ever seen. His preaching and his teaching saw many believers experience salvation and allowed them to become firmly grounded in their faith. Paul would end up writing many of the New Testament books. 
he ended up swinging to the other end of the spectrum in a very significant way. He was a mighty man of God, preaching the gospel of Christ everywhere that he could, even from prison cells. But before he was any of this, before he was Paul the apostle, he was Saul the persecutor of Christians. In fact, it was while he was on his way to persecute more Christians that Saul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You know, when you, when you think of this story, when you think of this man, you can't get much more opposed to Jesus than what Saul was. But Saul's story, it teaches us, if nothing else, it teaches us this very important message that nobody is beyond the reach of God's grace and God's mercy. No one is too far gone. No one is too distant that the arm of the Lord can't reach to them and pull them in and bring them close. Nobody. I'll say it this way. God can save anyone. Can you say that with me? God can save anyone. Anybody. And so I'll just... Let's just think for a moment. There's somebody in your life, somebody, if you took a few moments, you could, you could picture them in your mind. Perhaps a neighbor, perhaps somebody in your community, an acquaintance, a friend, a classmate, a coworker. that in your mind you think there's no way that they could ever be saved. There's no way they would ever want to be a Christian. There's no way they're too far. They've perhaps done too much. But this story, Saul's story, it serves as a strong reminder for us today that Jesus can reach into anybody's life. And Jesus can completely revolutionize somebody by the power of the gospel and by the shed blood of Calvary. Nobody is too far gone. Nobody is out of reach. And as Saul is traveling to Damascus, a light suddenly shines around him and he's knocked to the ground. He hears the voice of Jesus himself. And as a result, Saul realizes that this Jesus, the one that he's been opposing, is actually the God that he claims to serve. And in just that single moment, Saul does a complete 180 and he has a repentant spirit and he decides that I'm all in for Jesus. And this conversion is one of the most notable, not just in all of Scripture, but really in all of history. Saul goes from being a Christian killer to a Christian. In a matter of moments, a bright light shines, he hears the voice of Jesus and he makes the decision. That's how quick it can happen for anybody. It's just the moment in a decision. As long as it takes for you to make up your mind, that's as long as it takes to start your life on the path toward Jesus Christ. Now God was able to do something dramatic like that for Saul. And I believe that God is still able today to give the church Damascus Road dramatic conversions, people that are as far removed from responding to the gospel as you can imagine in your own self. God 
I believe, can get a hold of people like that, get a hold of their heart and redirect their passion from things that are against God to being passionate for the kingdom and being passionate for God. I believe that today. I believe that God can get a hold of people and turn them to a place of faith and repentance. I believe that today, that God can give us dramatic Damascus Road conversions. That God will take the Saul's and turn them into Paul's. That God will take the hostile and make them holy. That God will take the ones who are aggressors against the church and turn them into instruments for God's purpose in the church. Preaching the gospel everywhere and to everybody. That's Saul's story. I love Saul's story. To think that just before he becomes a Christ follower, he is killing Christ followers. There is no greater dramatic conversion than that. And Saul's conversion again tells us that God can save anyone. The one who persecuted can become passionate for God. I believe that he can do that today. I believe he can do that today. And that's why the church, we are called to not categorize people and to write people off, to write off the critic and to write off the wayward and the wandering, to not write off those that seem indifferent or those who are actually hostile against us. We're called to pray for our enemies, to pray for those and to love those who despitefully use us. That's what Jesus said because we're never to write anybody off. We're to believe that God can reach anybody at any moment whenever He very well pleases and we've got to be ready for what God desires to do. Because God can save anyone. God can take the lowest of the low in the city of Fredericton and raise them up and put them on the pew beside you. I need a church to shout if you believe that for a moment. Come on, God can save anybody. Anybody. So it's at this point in the story, he has a powerful encounter with Jesus, but there is still more for Saul to do. In music, you can join me. I'm almost done. There's still more for Saul to do. In fact, he, Bible says in verse number 6, Acts 9, he's trembling. He's astonished. He can hardly believe what just happened. And he says, Lord, what will you have me to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked, Saul. Because the answer has not changed since Acts chapter 2. Men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, go. Go into the city. The same city you were just going to kill Christians. Just go there and, and just sit and wait. And it will be told thee what thou must do. This change of heart, this repentant heart in Saul was powerful. But he wanted further instructions. He needed further instructions. He needed the way more perfectly. In fact, Saul's encounter with Jesus, this is interesting to me, it left him blind. It left him blind. He, you would think that, that, that this is it. This is, this, this is monumental, and it was, but, but he left that encounter blinded. And I believe that this is symbolic. Saul had encountered Jesus personally but he had still not experienced the gospel. That's different. They're distinct. That's what the book of Acts teaches us. 
Many people had, had a hunger for God. The Ethiopian eunuch, he had a hunger for God. He traveled great distances to go to the temple, but, but he didn't have full understanding until, until a preacher, Philip. Cornelius, he was a devout man, a good man, had everything going right from the outside looking in, but he was hungry for God. And that passion was powerful, but it was incomplete without a preacher named Peter came and preached the gospel to him in his house. So Saul is knocked off his horse by this bright light and Jesus speaks to him, but he's still in spiritual darkness. In just a few moments or, you know, as we read on in the passage, he obeys the gospel, he experiences salvation, and at that point, the blindness leaves. It's at that point, the blindness leaves. Isn't, isn't it amazing, really, that Saul has spoken with Jesus, but he still needs to do something else to be saved. Isn't it also amazing that Jesus just, just didn't tell him what to do? Like, Saul, go and just find somebody to baptize you and make sure that they say in the name of Jesus and, and begin worshiping and, and I'll fill you with my spirit. Isn't it amazing that Jesus didn't do that? Jesus said, go find Go sit in Damascus and someone will find you, Saul. Because here's what else we learn from this story. Number one, God can save every, anyone. But also, God doesn't work alone. Look at your neighbor and say, God doesn't work alone. In His divine wisdom, God has chosen for people like you and I to be that connect point between God and the lost. And when God does bring that connection... Powerful. Somebody is bold enough to lift their voice and be a witness in this godless world. Can I tell you, it is powerful. When somebody is willing to go and to obey the voice of God and preach to somebody, it is powerful what happens. Because God got a hold of a man in Damascus named Ananias and he said, Ananias, I want you to go and preach to this man. He's hungry for me. He has a partial experience but not full revelation. He needs the way more perfectly. He needs you, Ananias, to go and he needs you to preach the gospel to him that he might receive his sight physically, but also spiritually. His eyes need to be open and it only comes by the power of the gospel. So Ananias goes and he, and he preaches, no doubt, that same message. Lays his hands on him. Saul receives the Holy Ghost. And Saul is baptized. I'll say this morning that it always will take an Ananias to see a Saul become a Paul. Always. It always takes a preacher. And so Ananias, maybe you're hearing me this morning. Right at this very moment, there's somebody, there's a man in your city, there's a woman in your city, there are much people in this city. People all around us that are hungry for God and maybe are even encountering aspects of God. God is leading them, speaking to them, prompting them. and He desires to bring them in, but He needs you, Ananias, to go and put your hand on them, as it were, that they might receive their sight, that their eyes can be opened to the truth. I believe that there are people like Saul in Fredericton, in your communities, in your neighborhoods, People hungry for God. People who pray to God. 
people who would devote their entire life to God if they were given the opportunity to do so. But they don't know what their next step is. And they're sitting there and they're waiting for somebody. God, just send somebody. Lord, just lead somebody to me. I'm hungry for you, God. I'm hungry for you, God. Thank God Ananias got the mail and he was bold enough to go and he spoke the word of truth and he explained the way more perfectly and as a result, we are here talking about a man named Paul who changed Christendom and changed the church and advanced the kingdom in ways that we can't even imagine. It always takes a preacher. Yes, God can save anyone, but God doesn't work alone. God has put His hand on you, child of God. The Lord has put His hand on you, Ananias, to get up from where you are and to go and inquire, to go and seek out the one that is hungry for God, that they might be saved, that their eyes might be open. Come on. You know this beautiful message. You know this beautiful truth. And it came to you on its way to somebody else. It always takes a preacher. To explain the way more perfectly. If you believe that today, would you stand together with me? Thank you for your kind attention. I believe that God wants to fill somebody this morning with the Spirit. If you want to take a step of obedience to the Word of God and experience salvation, just like everybody in Scripture experienced salvation, I would invite you. In just a moment, we're going to come around this front. Come talk to any of our leaders, our pastors. We would love the chance to pray with you a prayer of repentance to receive the Holy Ghost. And we'll baptize you if you want to be baptized. There's no other way. It's the way. But I wonder if there's anybody else that would come under the weight of conviction this morning to an altar and say, Lord, I want to be that person. I want to be an Ananias. God, give me the courage and the boldness to raise my voice in a godless world without fear of rejection, without fear or favor of man. I want to lift my voice to make a difference. Would you step out as well? let's, Let's open this altar and let's flood this altar with people. A, who are hungry for God in their lives, but B, who are hungry to be used of God for the lives and the benefits of other people. Why don't you step out of where you are right now? Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the presence of God here this morning. Don't you want your life to count? Don't you want your life to be used? For the glory of God, I want to see somebody. I don't know who it might be, but I believe that God will lead me if I'll be sensitive to His voice to the One. Uh, He'll lead me to the One who's open to receive what I have to offer. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you raise your hands right now? all across this room. Come on, it's important that we believe this, but I I, I think we do believe this. I, I think we do understand this message, but God has given it to us so that we can share it with somebody else. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
on, would you lift your voice and just create an atmosphere for the Spirit of God to begin to flow? I believe that God wants to pour out of His Spirit today, in this moment, in this place. So can we lift our voices, church? Can we lift our passion to the Lord for just a few moments? And can we press into the Spirit? Can we press? Say, God, we're hungry to see that happen. God, we're hungry to see it happen here and now. But God, even and especially as we go out as well, let your Spirit flow, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 